The following is a pre-recorded program. 906 News Radio 680 WPTF. Tom Kearney on a Thursday night. I believe it's a Thursday night. I have looked forward to tonight. Uh, a gentleman who uh, his works in print I have enjoyed reading and, and the subject at hand I've enjoyed reading. Mr. Scott Hewler. He told me it rhymed with Bueller, as in Ferris, and I knew immediately what he what he what he was talking about. Has a new book out, and can I borrow your book, Scott, for just a second? I left my book in the car because you came up beside my car, and I was so interested in talking to you, I forgot my book. That's a good sign. The title of the book is "A Delicious Country: Colon Rediscovering the Carolinas Along the Route of John Lawson's 1700 X." And when I first saw the word John Lawson on this book, I thought, ah, it's John Lawson's tour of the Carolinas. Well, actually, it's John Lawson's tour of the Carolinas done by Scott Hewler is what we actually have. Does that sound right? I hope we have both. Oh, Um, you you, you do have both. (laughs) I mean, but it wasn't just John Lawson. And it is it is uh, much more entertaining. John is not here, so he can't. He can't, he, can't, he can't object to he can't that. Object. I like the title, Delicious, and I, I, you, I like this book so much, he's going to think I'm kissing up to him, and that's not true. Uh, but uh, being a native North Carolinian, I remember that when Amadis and Barlow, we, we had to learn this in the eighth grade here, landed on the, the Outer Banks. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them said it was the fairest land under the cope of heaven, mm-hmm. I think, and he was the agent of Sir Walter Raleigh. And I've always thought that was just a beautiful thing to say. And now we have a delicious country, so labeled by John Lawson. Yeah, and Lawson uses that phrase twice um, in writing about it. He just he just talks about what an in, incredibly sort of fabulous place this is. And he says, you know, he talks about what grows here and the 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 fair winds and the warm breezes, and you. It, he calls it, it's the most delicious country that I ever saw. And uh, it's, uh, I think about that because I know that's a different way of using the word delicious than we use it. But think about, people talk about their kids. You ask how their kids are and they'll say, oh, they're just delicious. And that's that sense of every sense in your body it evokes feels good. It, just, it really, it, it tells you what loss and thought of Carolina. Well, I, I think I told you I had to write a term paper or a paper at least when I was at Wake Forest and being history major uh, for a colonial history course taught by a man named Ed Hendricks. Uh, and so that's where I met John Lawson. But I've, uh, I'm one of your friends is at Val, the guy who is obsessed Green, and yeah. possessed by the spirit of John Lawson. But I'm not like that, of course. But I've always, when I see John Lawson, it perks up. And in fact, there was a young man in here a couple of years ago who was a guest who went off to the University of Texas at Austin. He was a local guy. Uh, I was actually interviewing him about the 4-H and the fair. But he was a graduate student, and he had just got a, a big deal scholarship to go to Texas. But he was writing his dissertation on John Lawson. And it was the year that John Lawson got to be a member of the North Carolina Literary Hall of Fame, which I think was two years ago, I believe. I don't remember when that was. I'll have to make did sure. You, I, did, I, I, I was going to sound like a smart aleck if I said, did you know that? Of course, I think you know everything about John Lawson. But Scott Mueller's book uh, is just out. Sadly, for me, but not for you, he was at Quail Ridge Books last night. Right. Absolutely. And... Uh, uh, maybe he'll be popular enough at, 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 that he will come back. So the copies are on the on the uh, shelves. Oh and, yeah, and they're and put, I'll be ahead. all over. 
the Triangle and North Carolina over the next the next couple weeks. I'll be uh, down in Charleston tomorrow night, but then I'll be at MotorCo in Durham for a periodic tables. That's a scientific discussion uh, series that Duke runs. I'll be there on the 12th at 7 p.m. I'll be at McIntyre's in Pittsburgh on the 16th at 2 p.m. Then I'll be down in Rome, Georgia, and then I'll be at the Country Bookshop in Southern Pines on April 10th and the North Carolina Museum of Natural Sciences for a science cafe on April 11th at 7 p.m. And two things, then. Number one, the frivolous part. If you walk out of your uh, your uh, building tomorrow night and tune your car radio to 680, you'll be able to hear WPTF because, you know, that's right in the middle of our pattern. We'll beam 50,000 watts straight toward Puerto Rico and out in, and in there, but... We, we were a big deal in Charleston at the time of Hugo because they could hear us and all the radio stations down there were off the air. That I did not know. Yeah, now, we, Hugo is an interesting story, speaking of John Lawson yeah. and speaking of retracing his journey. While Lawson is walking in 1700, he talks about a hurricane that has hit uh, just a few months before and— um, the, the, a ship wrecked there, the rising sun, mm-hmm. and um, he talks about being entertained with the food and uh, liquor that has washed up on shore on the islands, uh, on the coastal islands. The people who mm-hmm. live there have scavenged this material, and they feed Lawson on his way there's through. A la- those he, are like the land pirates in North Carolina. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and he also talks about... Later on, as he's walking, when he's, when he's done with the canoe portion of his journey, when he walks up, uh, he's walking along the Santee and walking mm-hmm. inland, he talks about crossing an area where the, the forest is flattened, and it is the path of the hurricane. It's clearly the path mm-hmm. of the northeast quadrant of the hurricane, which we're all used to here. And one of the things that, one of the parallels I drew between us and Lawson is that Lawson talks about this hurricane and he talks about, you know, this is many months after the hurricane came by, but Lawson has his hurricane stories. Now I walked, I started this journey in uh, Charleston and paddled up the coast of South And you're following the journey of John Lawson. Right. In 1700, let's, let's tell everyone what we're talking about. In 1700, John Lawson, a guy about whom almost nothing is known, showed up in Charleston, and for some reason or another, people think they know why, but nobody knows why, he took a journey with uh, five other Europeans and four Indian guides, and they paddled up about 40 miles up the coast to the mouth of the Santee River, and then he walked up the Santee, which uh, is mm-hmm. the uh, the Santee comes from the joining of the Congaree and the Watery. He then followed up the watery, which is the Catawba. In North Carolina. Right, to Mm -hmm. what you and I would call Charlotte. Of Mm -hmm. course, it wasn't Charlotte then. And then from there, he followed what was the old Indian trading path through what's now Salisbury and what's now Hillsborough, and then made his way across the uh, northern Piedmont in North Carolina to what you or I would call Little Washington. And I'm glad you still call it Little Washington. Right. You know, they've tried to stop them from doing that. And I, if they ever do, then uh, it's just a perfectly charming way of having a place. Why on earth would they stop? Well, I don't know. I, I, I do not know. Uh, the The public relations people in the world are crazy. Uh, there is a, 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 a the military academy is at West Point. And the for from the days of Grantland Rice, and I'm 
you probably know who he was. He was sure. a poetic sports writer. Uh, they have referred to the people from West Point as the Black Knights of the Hudson. And that's that's a picture that, you know, it just lights your mind up. And uh, But they the people, they want to, want to quit doing it. They don't want them to call them that anymore. And uh, I, and just as they don't want to call it Little Washington yeah. anymore. But it's a, it's a perfectly beautiful place. And, uh, it I is know, a beautiful place. And I, I noticed... And then we need to take a break here. I've got to try to stay on schedule. I'm going to be bad tonight because I'm going to enjoy this so much here and we'll forget what my job is. But you talked to Tom Magnuson, and I've had him on a couple of times many years ago talking about the Indian trading path. Right. Tom knows more than anyone else about the trading path, and he was very generous with his time to me as I was trying to figure out where Lawson went. And who is the other Tom? I can never get his last name, who works for... Well, he does uh, nature things for uh, public television. Tom. Tom Earnhardt. Uh, I, w- I woke up in the middle of the night one night watching that journey where he did Lawson's journey, right. mm-hmm. and I couldn't go back to sleep. Tom uh, was uh, in in conversation with me last night at Quail Ridge. Well, he is. Uh, I've his, had him on a couple of times, and just he's a wonderful yes, person he wherever he guy. is. Yeah. And he has the perfect job for an ex-law professor. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I guess he's an ex-law professor. He may not be. We're talking tonight. Uh, with Scott Hewler, who has written, uh, I'd say, about 10 or 12 books. He is uh, a native of northern Ohio, and he, uh, he's the first person I've ever met who actually went and graduated from Washington University in St. Louis. Did I get it right? That's right. And I'm pleased at that because I, I was telling him one of my favorite essay writers uh, was a professor there, and you didn't have Mr. Gass. Before. No, but I used to go in here as classes every now and then, just right. sitting in on He them. taught philosophy is what I understand. That's right. That's and what he taught. I've got his latest it, he, there is a book that they put together of what are reputedly his best essays, and uh, and uh, it's a, it's a doorstop book. It's a doorstop book, is what right. it is. But uh, I sit down sometime when I have just a few minutes and start reading on one of those. We're talking about a new book called "A Delicious Country." There's a subtitle to it, but we won't worry about that. That that will do the job. And the delicious country is the the lower Carolinas. That is the upper part of South Carolina from Charleston North uh, and circling around Eastern North Carolina as Scott has just described and ending up in Little Washington down where the tar goes into the to the sound I think the I can't Pimlico, remember Pimlico right. sound mm-hmm. uh, and uh, uh, among other things he ends up walking pretty close to my hometown of Goldsboro and across Contentia Creek which anybody in Eastern North Carolina now the interesting story and we have to get you to tell this later is after he did this, he gets into other things, and he and the Baron de Graffenreid go off up the up the, yeah, up the river. Yeah, get Hold, into a little mischief. They get into a little mischief, but don't say that because uh, <laughs> your friend Billy, I can't remember Billy's last name. We will. I have to clear this with you off the air. We'll do that. We'll come back and talk to you some more about a delicious country right after this. <laughs> 20 at News Radio 680 WPTF. Scott Hewer is with us. A book about a delicious country, a visitor uh, to the New World uh, in the early 18th centuries. He got here about 1700 and he lived until about, I think, what, 1711? Is that right? 1711. His and, life ended somewhat abruptly. And uh, we, will, we will cover that. But before that, he took a walking tour. And the wonderful thing, I'm stealing Scott's thunder, but he's I'm going to hand the ball to him in a minute, is that uh, what we have here is an observer who wrote down an awful lot of things about the Native Americans, about the flora and fauna, uh, and other things that we would, the customs, things that we would not know about in any other way. 
Yeah, yeah. Some, some of the stories that Lawson tells us, especially some of the stories about small tribes like the Siwi and the Santee, we have only from Lawson. Mm-hmm. We, we have no other first-person descriptions of them. Well, you know what you discovered, and you can, you can, you, you're the expert on this. You know where the significant stuff is. If there's an incident or a place in, in, let's say, the part of the tour in South Carolina that you want to jump on, please do. But something that you, I think, learned that I did not know about, and I've been wandering around in the history of this stuff all my life, is about Indian slavery. Yeah, that was... Possibly the most astonishing and heartbreaking thing mm-hmm. that I learned in the the years of research on this book was that I didn't even know Indian slavery was a thing. I, I didn't was, either. You know, we, we understand slavery and it's a terrible thing, and we understand that the Indians had it very badly too, and you know, but that Indian slavery was a thing, and of course, it suddenly makes sense because North and South Carolina, especially South Carolina was settled by people from the islands, people from the chattel slavery capital of the world. And that's what South Carolina culture is based on back in the day. And so it was very natural for them when they came here to enslave the people. And Charleston, the great slave port of Charleston. Everybody knows. Did you say half of the slaves who came into America came in through Charleston? Does that sound right? That sounds about right. I know Mm -hmm. that there was an enormous Enormous slave trade through Charleston. But the first 50 years of Charleston's life, it shipped more Native Americans to the islands than Africans into the American South. That's complete, something that I had never known, and the first time I've heard that. And it's astonishing, mm-hmm. and it, it makes you realize how enormous that practice was, and it's heartbreaking. It just, it's heartbreaking. The, uh, in fact, and it's part of what caused the Tuscarora War, mm-hmm. that the Tuscarora, apart from the disease and apart from the rum and apart from the dispossession and all of the things, um, they they met with enemies when we came amongst them, Lawson says, of the Native Americans. But apart from all of that was the fact that they needed to worry about being grabbed up and being enslaved. The, uh, the Tuscarora wanted to leave North Carolina. They're an Iroquoian tribe. Mm-hmm, they right. wanted to go up. We'll and go north. They wanted to go up to Pennsylvania, and they went and met with people from Pennsylvania, and the people from Pennsylvania said, okay, yeah, you can come up. Um, We need a sort of note of good conduct from North Carolina. We need them to basically vouch for you. Well, North Carolina was not forthcoming with such a note, so the Tuscarora were in a situation, we can't leave here because we can't go to Pennsylvania without this note. North Carolina won't give us this note, we can't stay here. They're killing us. They're enslaving us. They're taking our land. So they had no options. So they decided to to fight. Another thing, I, I, I want to cover probably too many things, but you sort of hinted, well, you didn't hint, you mentioned uh, liquor. Uh, the way they, I don't think people are, are aware I'm of the tremendous decimation of the population by things like alcohol, and I'm not entirely clear, but smallpox and syphilis. Uh, well, syphilis, was they, as was, we understand it, syphilis came from the Native Americans to the Europeans, Europeans. and then entered Europe through okay. the explorers uh, returning Okay, that's there. what I want to clear up. Smallpox came with the Europeans 
to the Native Americans and smallpox. Syphilis is terrible, and it kills you over the very long haul. Smallpox. But there are treatments of it. Smallpox kills you in a big stinking I think hurry. You, you quoted one person who said that, one in, that only one in six would, was remaining after a certain period. That was John Lawson. I will— uh, I'm showing off here for yeah. you because you're my teacher, and I want right. to say he really did read this book. Well, I will read to you okay. John Lawson's— uh, John Lawson's statement, the smallpox and rum have made such a destruction amongst them that on good grounds I do believe there is not the sixth savage living within 200 miles of all our settlements as there were 50 years ago. These poor creatures have so many enemies to destroy them that it's a wonder one of them is left alive near us. Now, who's talking like that in 1700? Only, only John Lawson. Right. Nobody else. Lawson, apart from his wonderful observations about science, apart from his botanical specimen gathering and sending uh, specimens across the ocean to the great collectors of the day in England, virtuosi they were called, he, he made, Lawson made contributions to the uh, collection that founded the British Museum. You Lawson's, can go there and see his stuff. Right I now. have gone and touched them with my own little fingers, mm-hmm. and um, it was thrilling, to be honest with you. But apart from all, he developed Bath. He developed Newburn. He uh, was the Surveyor General of the of the colony. He helped survey the border with Virginia. He was an incredibly important early person. I think he should be William Penn for North Carolina. We should look at John Lawson like William Penn. But apart from all of those contributions, his greatest contribution by far was not just his wonderful sense of observation about the Native Americans, but the fact that for Lawson, the Native Americans were fully human, fully realized people. He understood seemingly alone seemingly alone among his cohort of explorers and writers, he seemingly alone understood that the na- that he was seeing the ragged end of a once great culture that had been devastated by smallpox, devastated by strong liquor, which, which the cultures had no, had nothing like, no. uh, <laughs> devastated by guns, devastated by dispossession, by people taking their land. And, you know, one sixth is probably uh, is probably at overestimating what right. was left. Okay, quickly a couple of things. I'm a big fan of Montaigne, the French writer, mm-hmm. and uh, he was alive, of course, at the time of the Saint Bartholomew's Day massacre, and that sent a lot of people to South Carolina. And 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 Lawson ends up, and you end up in the territory of the Huguenots, the, the Huguenots. Protestants who came came from Europe. And the other thing. I had bunt cake with the Huguenots. Uh, I saw that. And, you know, there was a time in, when you and I were younger that bunt cake was extremely fashionable. Uh, I know I, I, my wife told me, I said, for Christmas, what would you like? I'd like a bunt cake pan, you know, and so I went out and found The other thing is, is Lawson was a sociologist, and you were about to touch on some of those things, and a human being. Well, the reason I mentioned Montaigne is Montaigne has a, an essay on cannibals, but he thought that the the— he thought that the people in the New World were not some odd, strange, and curious. They were just other human beings who did things in a slightly different way and sometimes were nicer than the people he commiserated with in Europe. And the other thing is the scientist aspect of him. And I know that part of your efforts were, if it's all right to say it, you you, you acknowledge this and, and thank them for it, uh, were 
subsidized by people at MIT. Yeah, that's right. I, I, I stumbled on John Lawson mm-hmm. in his journey and his great book and his observations about the people, the flora, the fauna, the geography of North Carolina. I stumbled on him when I was writing a book about infrastructure and the way, you know, fresh water comes to our houses every day. How do they do that? Whose idea was that? Since mm-hmm. when? How does that work? Mm-hmm. You flush the toilet and all that nasty stuff goes away. You never have to think about it again the entire rest of your life. Well, where's it? The following is a pre-recorded program. 933, Scott Hewer is here talking about his new book, Just Off the Press. He was, in fact, in Raleigh last night. I couldn't get him on the air before he was at... But at Quail Ridge, but he's going to be all around the area, and maybe he will later in the program, toward the end, uh, alert you again to the various places he's going to be within the sound of our signal. He's going to be in Charleston, as a matter of fact, tomorrow night. Uh, If you Charlestonians, it would be wonderful if you could go up to where he's giving his talk and say, I heard you on the radio all the way from Raleigh, because our signal comes in well in Charleston. But before that, I need to to uh, take notice of some of our, our friends who help keep us on the air. And specifically, and you know if you listen regularly, that I'm a big fan of King's Auto Service. They would like for you to remember the old saying that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. That also applies to your vehicle. Capital Quick Lube is now located within King's Auto Service on Northwest Street in Raleigh. Uh, oil changes, as you probably know, are among the most important maintenance services that you can perform for your engine, and King's Capital Quick Lube provides a great quick service and also a state inspection. Now, I got the state inspection about two weeks ago, and it took about 20 minutes, no no reservation time. I just drove in and said, can you do this? And they said, okay, give me the key. And so they did it. But you can get them both uh, together and it doesn't take much more than 20 minutes and it's without an appointment monday through friday from 9 a.m to 5 p.m even better if you require some extensive maintenance if there's something wrong with the car it's it's available at king's auto service that's what i call plan b for those of you currently driving a toyota prius or some other hybrid vehicle the certified hybrid technicians at king's are now able to refurbish your high voltage battery pack for less than half of what the dealer would charge to do the same thing this usually occurs by the way at about 150,000 miles call king's tomorrow to schedule a courtesy battery analysis king's auto service and king's Capital Quick Lube are easy to find at 1039 Northwest Street in downtown Raleigh and at kingautomotive.net on the web. King's Auto Service, Raleigh's most reliable auto care since 1946. And I will testify, as the Baptists do, that I take both of my cars there and I sleep the sleep of the virtuous because I know they've, they've fixed my automobile and I don't have to worry about that part of my life. Scott Hewler has visited with us before. He visited us Strangely enough, Scott, your your previous visit, and we don't want to. I, I don't want you to. You and I will wander off on this if we don't watch it. But you were retracing a trip too there, and it was Ulysses or yes. Odysseus. Yeah, that's right. That's and right. Uh, I enjoyed reading that book. And you have a book about the uh, the, the the wind scale that was constructed back in the in in the I guess in the seventeenth or eighteenth early eighteen hundreds. Scale. And yeah. uh, how you could estimate the speed of winds, and. Uh, and this book about infrastructure, you've, you've sold me another book tonight just by talking about it. That's something that is going to be a lot more important in our country than, than we imagine. Now. Oh, yeah. That's, I, I, I stomped around the nation screaming about infrastructure and, for, you know, a year right. some time ago when I wrote that book. But what we were talking about was that to, uh, to, to spike that 
concept into the ground. I took my house in the Five uh-huh. Points neighborhood in Raleigh right. and said, how does the water get there? Where does the wastewater go? How does the electricity get there? By what processes? How does the gas get there? Um, who paves the roads? All of these systems that we ignore and I pay no atten- and we pay no attention to. And I took the notion that I wanted to trace my piece of land back to, because, you know, with all these systems, I would go back, what did the Romans do? When did it get started? How did it, how, right. what's the beginnings of it? Interested in the beginnings of things, like Gollum, I guess. And I went back, I wanted to trace my piece of land back in time, and I tried a couple ways and failed utterly, and so I just left that out of the book. But while looking for early observations of the terrain around where around Raleigh, I ran into this Lawson character, and I started oh, looking so into. A connection, huh? I started looking into his. Well, he took this journey. Oh, okay. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, where, where exactly did he go around here? You know, what was his exact route? Well, nobody knows the exact route. You know, okay. Well, where's the person who's written the book that shows in general where he went? Well, nobody had written that book. You don't need me to tell you what a moment that is in the life of a writer to say, here's a book I need, and to find out that book doesn't exist. And when you read the book now, I can imagine myself standing somewhere near Camden, South Carolina, and with with his book in hand and saying, oh, here, here it is, because I could, between uh, cross-indexing your book and his book, I can know that I was at that place. That exact spot, and there was, there are... Many, many spots that I walked on where I thought, this isn't near where Lawson stood. This is the exact spot. I mm-hmm. am right where Lawson was. Those were wonderful moments. There's there's a uh, a road, a sand road up through uh, the state park, Poinsett State Park in South Carolina and the, uh, the, the forest leading up to it that one of my great sources, Vale Green, whose name we mentioned before— mm-hmm. He said, you know, Scott, people have been walking this road for a thousand years. They've just been, you know, now we drive it in our cars or we walk it or ride horses. But he said the 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 Santee Indians were making their way up and back up and down this road between the coast and and the the, the Congaree swamp mm-hmm. and uh since since before we can even imagine. That's what I learned from Tom Magnus in North Carolina. They, 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 the Indians had found the way, the best ways. They knew where the fords were. They, right. they knew where to go. And uh, uh, But um, uh, what was I going to say? I lost my train of thought there for a moment. But I, I um, oh, it's the importance you indicate of the roads, right. that is, the, the, the asphalt roads. That's the, the big difference. Right. That's yeah. when I... Occasionally ask people, you know, I would meet people along the way. We would talk about Lawson. I would, they, mm-hmm. Sometimes they knew. They knew about mm-hmm. Lawson once in a while. Commonly up uh, in, you know, or between like Charlotte and Hillsborough, they knew about the trading path. Right. They knew right. that where they lived. That was pretty thrilling to me. I, I found that very exciting. But we would talk about what's changed. What's the thing if Lawson got dropped, you know, out of space into the world as we experience it. What's the big difference? People would generally say the roads. I mean, cell phones, computers, you know, all these things. But the roads are, are they think, what would really astonish him, that mm-hmm. these 
uncountable miles of paved asphalt and concrete. And I think they're right. I think that's a really good point. And certainly, it was an it was one of the things I never stopped noticing that I was walking in an environment not designed for people. I was walking in an environment designed for cars and trucks. I leapt out of the way of lumber trucks more times than I could count on this. I was trying this weekend to describe to someone where my mother lived and as in the last years of her life. She mostly lived in the streets of Goldsboro, but later she, for reasons, moved out in a rural area. And I said she lived... Uh, back in the back in the fields, off the road, and if you if you grew up in eastern North Carolina, that was not uncommon, and it was the way the world was, and the roads were imposed on that. That is the reason it was not the house was not on the road is the house was there long before the road was ever made. It was not built according to the road. And if you I, in Virginia once, I went to Shirley Plantation, which is where Robert E. Lee's mother grew up, mm-hmm. and of course the way you approach Shirley Plantation historically is from the water. You don't. The road that's there is like a gravel dirt road, or it was at the time I went there. It's probably changed now. But we we have we have had our our lives dictated by the roads. Now the houses are right on the roads. You don't have to right. go back in the field. The guy used to have to bring her mail up, you know, two hundred yards back out in the, in the middle of a what had been a tobacco field. Right. Well, yeah. you talk about uh, access to property coming from. The water, when I visited you, we were talking about the Huguenots, and uh, mm-hmm. I stayed with some descendants of the very Huguenots who would have entertained Lawson. I stayed with some of their descendants, some very, very nice people. And they said, you know, we can take you to the original plot of land that would have been the Jamestown Cemetery and uh, when Lawson would have made his way through here. And then they couldn't take me to it because it's landlocked. It is, you know, it has access to the Santee, but you can't get to the roads, and it has no access to the roads. Usually the people who uh, own the property surrounding it are perfectly glad to let them cross it, but when they told those people that they were going to bring a rider through, the people said, no, thanks. And um, that usually means that they had a still on the property, that they had something going on that they didn't want... uh, Something well, sticking their nose You in. know, I have done this in this part of the world. A man who I was doing research on lived in northern Durham County, and I was trying to find his burial place, a man named Mangum. And uh, I went and found the, the nearest house to there, and I said, I want to go up back up. Do you mind? And they said, well, we, yeah, you can go, but we'll go with you. Right. <laughs> and a person who worked for the county of D- Durham later told me that what they wanted to do is to make sure you didn't find the still. They didn't care if you went to the gravesite. They, right. they would help you all day long. Uh, but they didn't want you to be. I want to ask you about two things real quickly, and you may or may not want to talk about either one of them. One was the uh, the Lenore House, or, or what our store is. What, what oh, was the Lenore store? store? Yeah. yeah, because those people, those places are unusual. And sometimes I used to go visit my my daddy's relatives out in the country, and we used to go to a store to get uh, uh, candy bars or something. But it was a store that didn't have any electricity. You know, right. I mean, for some of these people, before the roads, before the cars, this was the closest thing they could get to buy anything. that, uh, And that's why people went to town on Saturday or the Jewel Tea Man came around and visited you. The other thing is when you're in eastern North Carolina, going to towns that are where you still have the downtown area, but the stores are not inhabited. Right. 
that was almost poetic to me. Well, it's it's heartbreaking, rather. Yeah. But but well, let me tell you about the Lenore store, and then yeah. we'll talk about the. Is the, that all right? You of course, of course, go, of course. Go for it. No, the Lenore store was one of the greatest places I saw. It is probably the oldest continuously owned business in South Carolina. It's uh, just. Uh, north of the Poinsett State Park in South Carolina. And it is, I, they know the building was built by 1878, I think. And uh, the store's been there since the... 1808, I think. I think something yeah. like that. And um, I went there. It was the coldest day of my entire trip. It was, uh, I woke up that morning in my little tent. It was 8 degrees that day and I thought oh that's all right by me because I know that two miles north of here is the Lenore store and it's going to be a little rural store like I'd been seeing you know one of those stores that you see all the time that has everything from bait to sandwiches. Okay hold on I want to show off he wanted a ham biscuit is what he wanted. That's right I (laughs) thought I was going to have I thought I was going to have a ham biscuit that was going to define my life. Right. And I saw the store and I I was so excited. I was freezing, and I was marching my way up there, and I came in, and it was as cold inside the store as it was outside the store because the store had electricity. It had lights, but that's all it had. It didn't have heat, and the woman behind behind the counter was standing there in a coat and gloves, and she could sell me some fruit or a bag of chips or, you know, an orange juice from the cooler, but... They're, they didn't have no griddle with, with uh, ham biscuits or anything like that. It, my little heart was broken. We need to take a break. And right after we come back, we'll take you to eastern North Carolina, somewhere uh, near Flower Store or down in Aden or some Apex or some, some right. I can't remember where. But uh, would I'd like to think that for you listeners, we're talking about a book called Delicious Country, and it's about— uh, uh, Scott Hewler, who follows the uh, the path of a an explorer of America named John Lawson, circa 1700, a very important tour because it was a, a basically a great scientific investigation, and uh, you can tell if you go and get yourself a copy of this book that you will be kind of riding along on a wave as you as you go through it, and uh, uh, we'll be back with Scott and ask him to talk some about Eastern North Carolina and maybe ending up in Little Washington right after this. 951 at Radio 680 WPTF. Tom Kearney here. Tomorrow night we're going to have trivia. And I have invited uh, uh, Bruce Farrell, who is uh, one of our, I think he's assignments editor or assistant news director or something. But he's been here forever. And he likes trivia. And he's been with us before. And I hope he will take, accept my invitation to be here tomorrow night. My brother Stephen, who usually helps me, has got to... Uh, got to do something else tomorrow, and so he cannot be here. But in any event, we'll have some sort of trivia tomorrow night, a little fun. We like to end the week and be thankful that we made it and welcome the weekend. Tonight's Scott Hewler, a local author. Uh, he, I didn't say this, but I guess it's all right. It's in, in print. You work for the Duke Magazine, I think. I do. But you live in Raleigh. I live in Raleigh. And, and you I... live uh, near Five Points, which is on the route that I go home. So I'll, I'll wave at all those right. houses and think maybe you <laughs> But, <laughs> yeah. but uh, he, uh, his books are extremely readable, and they're about things that, that folks in this part of the world would be interested in. And I can commend the one on, on retracing the, 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 uh, 
the travels of Homer's people. Of right, of Odysseus. Odysseus. That was called No Man's Lands. And and I, 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 I'm going to have to get the one about the, the wind scale tonight. But tonight it's a new book called Delicious Country. And guess where? It's the... It's sort of um, down East Carolina. It, 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 Lawson didn't stray much up into the Piedmont. Uh, well, uh, he was in the Piedmont. He went as far west as Charlotte. Okay. And then uh, from Charlotte, he would have made his way up through Salisbury and mm-hmm. up to Hillsborough. He was following the trading path. Right. And the trading path, as we all know, look at I-85. That's mm-hmm. where the railroad goes. That's where the 80, That's where the... Interstate goes because, as you were saying before, it it, it has roadness. It, mm. it it goes where the people want to go. It goes from this place to that place, and so uh, it's not surprising that we drive our cars and our trains run the exact same general way that the Indians used right. to walk because they knew how how it worked. But yeah, then he made it all, all the way through like the Triangle. And then down east and ended up at Little Washington. And uh, I can't remember the town, though, but you have a picture of looking down the street, and there are about four or five or six storefronts there that are still look like they're in pretty good shape, but the stores are It's the one where the, the dress in, uh, is hanging in the, in the window, like it was waiting for somebody to come get it. Yeah, that's, it was shattering, really, mm-hmm. to see small town after small town after small town just empty there would be you know out near near whatever big road there was mm-hmm. you'd be able to find fast food and stuff like that but the small towns are just empty the these towns have gone and yeah that uh that strip of stores i'll never forget it because apart from the fact that it was i was let's see i'm looking at the picture one two three four five six seven stores storefronts all empty, mm-hmm. with a little awning over the sidewalk that would have kept the sun off you if you were uh, if you were shopping back in the day when they still had stores there, and you know nice brickwork above in the in the apartments for the families that would have owned little stores, and it's all empty. And there's one plywood in front of many on many of the store mm-hmm. windows. One was empty. One was still glass, and there was. There were dresses hanging in there, dresses and dry cleaning bags. And you could see that this was somebody's very decent, very good quality clothes that they had. And, you know, when things really started to go south for them, they had to sell those clothes and they were just hanging in the window and there was no sign. There was no sense of when you could come to this makeshift Mm -hmm. secondhand store whose clothing this was. And it was just... It was heartbreaking because Lawson, as we were talking about earlier, understood that he was walking through the very end, the ragged end of something. Right. And, and civilization was disappearing and was, what was going to was vanishing. Yeah. And I could not fail to feel that I was walking through the same thing. That 50 years ago, we were still in post-war prosperity. We had unions. We had... Uh, uh, an economic system that made sense. Working people made money. Middle class people made money. You know, there was, Mm -hmm. the world made sense. Now, you know, farm people made money. Rural people, there was, there was a culture there. Now, in these little tiny small towns, they are vanishing. There's the giant agribusinesses own the farms. 
the uh, textiles and the uh, furniture making is gone, 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 gone. Tobacco, gone, gone, gone. The people who lived in these little towns, they're gone. And you can't fail to look and say, well, what's next? What is coming next? I have no idea. Mm -hmm. I have no idea. But like Lawson, I feel that I walked through the very end of, uh, a, of a dying culture. We're going to stop him right there because we have one minute left. And in that one minute... Uh I want you to. I want to tell you that the book is called "Delicious Country," and it's uh, our, our guest tonight, Scott Hewler, following the uh, walking tour of uh, part of South Carolina, part of North Carolina that he took, and leaving much scientific evidence around 1700 to 1710. Uh, but you're going to have to get the book to get the rest of the story, or maybe we can have Scott come back. But in any event, but you're going to be where in the next few days? I know you're going to be in Charleston. Be in Charleston tomorrow night. I'm going to be at MotorCo uh, in Durham at the periodic tables. Uh, that's at uh, 7 p.m. on the 12th of March. I'll be at McIntyre's in Pittsburgh on the 16th uh, at 2 p.m. And I will be at the Country Bookshop in Southern Pines at, on April 10th. And I will be at the Museum of Natural Science in downtown Raleigh April 11th at 7 p.m. at a science cafe. April 11th. Perfect time. Scott Hewler, the book is Delicious Country, published by UNC Press.